All right, we're back again for another episode. It's the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. I'm Tokyo Cliff. Chocolate Buddha in the house. And we are in Shibuya. I think we're always in Shibuya for the most part. Uh, nine, nine out of ten times we're in Shibuya. Today we have um, some friends from the international community here in Tokyo. And we have two members from the Ocean and I music band. Um, woo. Woo. Thanks for having us here. Yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> of course. Our pleasure. Um, so let's do a little self-intro. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Yeah, just go ahead. Uh, hi, my name is Nina, um, and I'm American and Japanese. Been living back and forth between the two countries. Yeah, I've been back here for three years now, and... Um, I play synth guitar in the Ocean Eye along with Nayo, and well, he does vocals, so I'll let you talk <laughs> about that. But um, yeah, I'm pretty new to the band, but I've been DJing around um, Tokyo for almost two years now. Um, it's something uh, I started when I moved over here with some invite from some friends. So yeah, it's fun. And besides that, I um, travel around Japan and do writing, journalism, so... Dope, dope, dope. Yeah, and you're, you're originally from Tokyo? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was cool. born here, then moved to the U.S. when I was eight, and okay. then I moved back here, so... Mm-hmm. Sometimes feel like a foreigner, sometimes feel like, I'm Japanese, like, just accept me the, as who I am, but, yeah. you know, people always look at me like I'm a gaijin, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, and uh, <laughs> Mr. Nayo. Hello, my name is Nayo Kenza, and yeah, um, as Nina said, I do vocals in the band. I'm also, um, I guess, the principal songwriter, so I do a lot of songwriting for the band as well. And yeah, I've been living here six years this time, and like Nina as well, DJing in Japan and having fun. And yeah, but I am 100% a gaijin, so there's that. <laughs> but yeah, 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 just um, yeah, happy to be here today with Nina. Thank you guys for cool. having us. Dope, dope. Let us know who the other members are. I believe I know one of them, but go ahead. Yeah, so we also are blessed to have Late in the band. Yeah. Late, yes, that's the homie. Shout out to Late from the Mega Late Show. Yeah, he actually joined the band a couple months before Nina did, and he serves as our DJ doing the live shows. And um, yeah, we're blessed to have him. We're also blessed to have Marissa Lovejoy on bass. I know she's going to get mad at me saying her full name, but Marissa Lovejoy is a name that you just have to say. Yeah, it's just a beautiful name. (laughs) She was one of the actual founding members of the band, along with Ernesto, who plays drums with us. So, yeah, blessed to have five people in the band, and I'm quite happy about that. What type of band is it? What type of genre of music would you call it? Um, When I first heard it, I thought it was like punk like electro punk, mm-hmm. but we like to call ourselves melancholy pop. I think we dive into a lot of different genres, though. We're pretty diverse in that way. Um, yeah, there's some, you know, rapping. There's some hip hop soundtracks in there, and more of the mellow tracks. And how would you say? Yeah, I concur with that. I think um, when I started producing for the span, it was just a project, and it was like a lo-fi hip hop feel. And then when we start playing live, it started to affect the way I would write the songs and the way the songs come out because you want everyone to have their part to shine in the song. You want it to be fun to play live. And um, so yeah, definitely like a lot of hip hop aesthetics and sounds, but with a punk DIY attitude to it. Like I'm not trying to, you know, have like a bunch of producers like producing tracks for us. I want to, if I can, I want to do everything in house you know, keep it with us as much as possible, even if our abilities aren't, like, astronomical. Like, do things that are natural and organic for us. So that's, like, the punk aesthetic. Oh, the, the punk ethos. 
And then, you know, I just, I like 808s. I like drum machines. Gotcha. <laughs> I like synthesizers. Yes. So that's why it comes out sounding like, it's like Linkin Park, but like it's like uh, guitars. It's yeah. just like synths, <laughs> I guess. Um, All right. Did, did you introduce the rest of the members? Yeah. Okay. All right. I think I lost track there. All right. So um, how, how did the group form? Like, how did it all start for you guys? Um, well, when I was when I first started producing The Ocean and I, I produced it as an outlet because I was in a metal band at that time. And I was, um, shout outs to Given by the Flames. I was in Given by the Flames, which is like my little brother's band, um, the vocalist, William. Anyways, I was in Given by the Flames and I was working as the electronicist. So I wasn't doing vocals, maybe some backing screams, but I was just there to kind of like, you know, take guitar riffs and manipulate them or to add samples and like, you know, another texture to the song. And prior to that, I'd always been vocalist in bands or like a guitar player or something. And it was my first, I like electronic music. Like, you know, I DJ and like I, I love doing turntablism and, put, and sampling and heavier music. But it was my first time actually doing that in a band as my only role. So once I started doing that, I just started coming up with new sounds and stuff to make. And then it's like, I just started producing Lofa Hip Hop. And it was like towards the end of 2016. And like, you know, like Lofa Hip Hop beats to study and chill to was like quite big. Chill step and all yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I stopped playing around, making samples and chill step and lo-fi hip-hop. And then before I knew it, I had a five-track EP out. And um, a good friend of ours, Katsia, invited me to play an event with him. And he and his wife offered to um His wife is Nadia Davenport from the Brand New Heavies. Now her own oh. solo artist. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's my band. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. She, she's over here or something? She's over here, yeah. Yeah, she's living in Living Tokyo. in Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I went to their concert like about, ooh, I would say about, uh, it, w- it was a while ago. It was yeah, yeah. about maybe, I would say about nine or ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. And they were in the Billboard or something like that. And I was like, whoa, because that's my group. They're a good band. Wow. And like, she's a phenomenal singer. But she's even like a really good drummer as well. And, like, Katsia was like, yo, I like the music. And, like, Nadia was like, yo, I like the music as well. So to have, like, a co-sign for those two was really encouraging for me as someone who just started the project. And they actually ended up playing my first show with us. So she played drums and he played bass. And then after that, I decided I wanted to add other members to the band because I liked the feeling of that. Because prior to that, I was just going to, like, DJ the songs. And that's quite cool for some producers who want to do that. But I wanted to have more of an organic stage presence. Like as Nina said earlier, she plays a synth guitar, and I also have a synth guitar that I made. And I guess we'll talk about that a bit more. But it's not like an actual guitar or guitar. It's an instrument that we made specifically for this music. Oh, that's so, interesting. Specifically for a stage presence, because I mean, we could literally just push a button and just stand there. <laughs> like <laughs> it's not as engaging. So that happened, and then I went to a friend of mine's like wedding party ship off before they were leaving to Thailand. Her and her husband were going to Thailand. And this friend was a friend I went to university with, and then my other university mates had been there. And sitting across from me were, lo and behold, Melissa, Love, Melissa Lovejoy. And I remember commenting like, oh, you know, you've got nice tattoos, but you're wearing this, like, this cute little like, 50s-style dress. You look like you play bass and bake cookies. And she's like, I actually do both of those. And I was like, sweet, join my band. <laughs> Please join my band. And then I spent a while looking for a drummer because I only knew metal drummers, but I wanted someone who could do rock and who could do hip-hop, so who could kind of groove. And I'd known Ernesto for a while. I knew he had been in a band, his other band broken up. So I reached out to him, I sent him some of the music, and he was gracious enough to say yes as well. And then it was the three of us for a while. It was the three of us for about a year almost. And then 
I was still playing vocals and still playing synth guitar and doing some DJ bits. So that's a lot to be doing with a computer. And as you know, computers can be very fickle. Mm. So we had a show and my computer just said, <laughs> that's enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was running Serato and I was running the DAW that I use for synth noises and stuff. And it was just like an internal conflict. We lost 10 minutes of showtime. It was quite embarrassing. I felt hot behind the ears the whole time. So that's when I said, we need to add another DJ. Because I was like, we just gotcha. need another computer. I was like, if we get another computer, just add another DJ. And then we added late. And then I started writing songs differently again. And then I wanted to have the synth parts stand alone, live. And I didn't want to play synths anymore doing vocals. Because I started adding more vocals as a band. Because the first few projects were instrumental. And then I wanted to add more vocals. I didn't want to play vocals. I didn't want to sing vocals and play synth guitar if not necessary. And I wanted to have distinctive synth parts. And that's when I started thinking, well, we need to have a fifth member, someone who can play those dedicated synth parts. And that's when we reached out to Nina. Actually, Late reached out to Nina. Because Nina was Late's, like, hidden secret. Because I asked her, like, yo, if you know any, I specifically want, like, another girl. If you know a girl who can, like, you know, DJ. Because the way the instrument works, I need someone who knows how to use hot pads. Mm -hmm. And if you know anyone, like, let me know. And he's like, oh, like, let me ask Nina if she knows anyone. And then Nina was like. <laughs> he, he, like, specifically asked me. He's like, hey, do you know any half Japanese girls in <laughs> very Japan? Specific. Yeah, who can speak both English and Japanese and, like, could be interested in joining a band, like, playing beat pad. And I was just like. Raising my hand like you're talking to one, <laughs> so yeah, it worked out pretty well. Yeah. yeah, and then she joined, and then we had our first like inaugural show. It's five people on the on the seventeenth of November, and I think for me it feels like it cemented it what was supposed to be. Like I think we five members is perfect, no more, no less. Yeah, yeah, it felt good. I was pretty nervous before, but it it was it felt much more natural as I I got up on stage with everyone. So yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing that story with us about how you guys got started and um, how the, the band formed. Uh, Nina, you said you are originally from Tokyo, left here when you were about eight. Why did you leave for? Um, we left We left because of my dad's um, job. Not really, like, my dad's American, my mom's Japanese, and they met within, like, the first two years my dad was here uh, and then ended up staying for 15 years and got married, had me... And then he's American, but he's actually really, he had really lived in America. He grew up in Germany and everywhere. So he had this like crisis, like nearly 20 years ago being like, I'm American. I don't know America. We need to go back. So <laughs> then we just like, just dropped everything here. They had their own company and they sold that off. And then we just basically started from zero in Portland. And at that time, like 20 years ago, Portland was still kind of this like boonie town place and yeah so everyone here was like why are you guys moving to portland there's nothing there but my dad's like it's cool like we gotta we gotta go there there's a lot of opportunity there so yeah we moved back there and i was pretty mad i think when we my parents told me we were moving because all i knew was japan and i mean i would go back sometimes to see family but um, okay i've yeah. never been to the west coast or anywhere close so um yeah say that again Oh, yeah, yeah here, you're yeah. right, you're right. I, I did fly over it, yeah. I'm not biased or anything, but the Pacific Northwest is the best. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's, isn't that where Starbucks is from? No? Yeah, Starbucks from, <laughs> is from Seattle, okay. and there's Amazon and Amazon, all that corporate all stuff. Big but companies. Yeah, but also lots of nature. Lots rains of, a lot. Yeah, people say that, but I feel like it just dribbles and, like, drizzles, and, like, it's not, like, the 
the harsh rain we get in like Japan and like mm. in June and stuff. So. Oh, you a Seahawks fan? Of course. We're gonna kick y'all ass next time. But anyway. Oh shit. <laughs> Yeah, he's a he's a Saints fan. Of course you are. Yeah, I saw that over here, yeah. over there. <laughs> yeah, it's hanging up all over the place. Uh, yeah. So okay. So all right. And then you spent most of your time in the states in Portland, and then you come back to Japan. Yeah, then I actually studied here for a semester in college, and I was like fuck Tokyo like I never want to come back again like <laughs> I just had such a terrible time as a student here and mm-hmm. I was like this place sucks like I made it like a super public post on my Facebook being like came back to Tokyo hated it I'm never gonna live here again just so you all know and then like six months later I was back here <laughs> what brought um, you back was it the sushi was it what, what was it I mean of course <laughs> the food but um yeah I just got a job offer and um I wasn't really like doing a really good job looking for a job back home so i was like you know what i have this offer on the table might as well give it another try maybe it's different as a working adult than Mm. it is as a student or as a kid so i came back here and tokyo is actually like a really addicting city as an adult but you hated it this time i loved it that time you loved it yeah i wasn't going to school anymore so i didn't have homework after work and stuff and there's just like so much to do here and especially like i live super central now so i could just like like skip out of my door and be at a bar or something like that or go listen to like live music every night or just you know there's always something to do and um yeah so the opportunities here have just like been super awesome and that's why like I've gotten into so many like new hobbies that I didn't get to do as as a as a student like DJing learning how to DJ being in a band um getting to travel for work and like getting to work on my creative side with my writing and things like that that I didn't really have time for or knew how to do back in the U.S. So so I assume you speak fluent Japanese. Uh, yeah. When you were young, did your parents, they did they talk to you in Japanese? Yeah. So my mom and I speak in Japanese. My dad and my mom speak in Japanese. Okay. And my dad and I speak in English. So it's like when it's all three of us, I'm an only child too. So when it's just three of us, it's Japanese mainly. Um, yeah, just growing up, it was mostly Japanese, but... Then, like, if I would get mad or something, then it would be all English or, you know, things like that. <laughs> of course, because English has all the best... Uh, Cuss words Yeah, and fucking know. shit. And, yeah, <laughs> it, it, just it just sounds more powerful. Yeah, it's more, it sounds know? more powerful than yeah. any word in Japanese, but, right? But then you hear a Japanese mother yell at you in Japanese, <laughs> oh, shit. and yeah. that's scary. Or, uh, like, people ask me, like, what what is the scariest, you know, how what was the scariest time when your mom got mad? And it's like, when she gives you the silent treatment. That is the scary. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm familiar with it because my wife's Japanese, so you know I I get a, I get an earful sometimes, you know. Yeah, same here. And and plus, you know, when you're when you're an adult, the scary treatment means number one, you ain't getting none that night, <laughs> and number two, you're gonna use the microwave because I can't cook worth a damn. So yeah, yeah. I I I, I totally concur, man. The silent treatment from a Japanese woman is yeah, it you it die, sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and you yeah. die if you come in the house and don't take your shoes off. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Yeah. I still get mad at like I turn into my mom more and more every day. I think like get mad at my friends if they don't take off their shoes in the house, (laughs) all that. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. Well, actually, I think you are first 
half or mix. So, you know, those terms sometimes people don't like. Really? But yeah, you're our first biracial guest. That's exciting. And yeah, and I'm, I've always wanted to talk about, uh, talk with a, a, a mixed person of mixed race about being mixed. And since you're in Japan now, um, what, what type of uh, challenges and or, or things that you deal with that might get you down or I think, as being a mixed I think person. the hardest, especially being half Japanese in Japan, is no Japanese person will ever see you as a Japanese person. It's mm. like, you know, people, I'm like a typical conversation would be like, oh, where are, you, where are you from? Oh, I'm from here. I'm from Tokyo. I'm from Japan. Oh, but are you, you know, something else too? Yeah, my dad's American. Oh, so you're half, so you're not Japanese is always like the 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 continuous of the continuum of that conversation it's like oh so you're not japanese yeah so i think that's when the you know that's when the term or the word half becomes problematic right because it's like it's it it is um an interesting like you're half of japanese you're not japanese japanese you're half yeah there's there's people that are on both sides of that i actually work really closely with a lot of projects about half japanese people and the term is hafu right which means just half in in japanese and so a friend of mine he's doing this project called hafu to hafu and it's this photography project that is is aims to photograph half japanese people from every country in the world and he's at like 130 maybe 100 countries or so now Maybe. Um, so, yeah, things like that. So I think like l- meeting other people and uh, learning about people who use that word as an empowering thing has helped me come to terms with it. Because when I first moved back here three years ago, I was really struggling with that. It's like I don't want to I don't want to use the term hafu to describe myself. I don't feel like that and all that. But now I, I can say it more proudly and without shame. So. Yeah, I used to tell my daughter when she was in uh, school, you know, because she's, she's half Japanese, you know. I used to, you know, my wife has a way of explaining, you know, having our daughter explain things to kids. Mm-hmm. I have my way, which is more black, urban, straight to the point, don't give a fuck. Right. And so they say, well, daddy, she says, I'm not really Japanese. Tell that motherfucker, look, I'm Japanese. I'm just halfway there. All right. Fuck you. And <laughs> things like that. But, you know, there's a lot of things. You know, I, I went on Google and I look, you know, search for half uh, famous half Japanese people. Don't you know that the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers? Oh yeah, is half Dave Japanese. Roberts is half Japanese. Mm, cool. Yeah, yeah. So when I Google it up, I was like, actually, what difference does it make? Because you're all we are all human being. But you know, since people are into their nationalism or pride or whatever the the fuck it is, you know, it just became interesting to me, and I was so proud when I saw uh, what's her name that got Miss Universe Ariana again? Ariana, and then the lady who Priyanka. was half Indian. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So when I, you know, when I look at that, it's like, all right, you know, it's it's you know, I think the younger generation is more accepting of it. I mean, since you're a younger person, did you were you like, uh, I would say back in the 80s, people really struggled with it yeah. because I was here in 1980. Mm. And, you know, being half black, half Japanese was like you were the devil. Right, or you, right, you know, right. because of the, uh, you know, the imagery from America and there, you know, even the prime minister said some crazy shit about black people. Right. So but I'm thinking now the younger generation, your age, would be more accepting of it. You didn't find that the case when you. I. Yeah, I've never really felt rejected by anyone. Luckily, like, I didn't face any 
you know, racial discrimination or anything being looking white, I guess, um, foreign, I guess, gaijin here, um, from Japanese people or anything. Um, and I think my generation, people like millennials, they're more, they look at someone like me more in admiration than anything, but it's, it's like, oh, you're so lucky you're half. Oh, you know, I want to have half babies. And I have to always tell them like, no, you guys just want half white babies. Like that's the thing is they want these like, like Aryan type of like kids. There's like, oh, you know, oh, you want half kids. There's like a bunch of really, really attractive Korean or Chinese men here or something you could, you know, have babies with. And they're like, no, 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 no. I don't want like Asian babies with a different person. You know, it's like it, it gets really kind Weird. of mushy, like yeah. kind of really awkward. Yeah. Um, you know, topic. I think for me, like the biggest thing is um, like educating people and, you know, bringing that awareness. Cause that's the thing is like a lot of these comments people get or are in Japanese people make to like foreigners and mixed race people is because of like ignorance and just them not knowing anything else. Yes. So then you have to talk about it. Like, you know, when someone's like, Oh, so you're not really Japanese. I'm like, you know, I go to America and like, no one ever says, Oh, you're not really American because exactly. I'm mixed with something else. And of course, like in the U S like everyone's mixed, you know, yeah. to an extent. So it's just, yeah, just bringing that awareness and showing them other examples of like, well, let's look at it this way. Right. And a lot of times when I try to talk to people that way, they're like, Oh, okay, yeah, you're right. I get that. And if that sticks with them, cool. If it doesn't, oh well, you tried, you know. But it's it's talking about it and bringing that awareness out. So, actually, I wanted to just talk on to what Buddha said about yeah. like people who might, you know, not necessarily attack people, people who might have negative things to say about people who are, you know, trying to be true to themselves. Usually, those people who are the ones who are doing the instigation, they usually have like the most insecurities yes. out of anyone else. Yeah, like. For example, if someone's picking up someone being biracial, maybe they might, a lot of times it could be the kid who might be a little bit darker than the other Japanese kids. Or whatever. They're like, well, I look funny, but this person, well, they're definitely funnier mm. because of blah, blah, blah. So they're going to pick on that person as a means to like distract whatever they have going on. Yeah. But yeah, taking away their power by being like, yeah, so what? Like this and that. Even for other things, like someone's like, oh, you know, like you might be LGBT. Oh, they're not going to say that. They'd be like, oh, you're gay, whatever. It's like, yeah, well, whatever, I'm gay, so what? And they're like, oh. What do I do now? Like, oh, that didn't that didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Are you gay too? No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm half. Yeah. Are you have to? Oh no. Um. Oh, oh fuck. So like a person yeah. say, you know, because a uh, few years ago they say, hey, what's up, fat ass? I was like, yeah, I'm fat. So what? You know? And then they like, oh, 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 oh. damn, he's proud of. Uh, uh, I can't feel superior. But Doctor Phil said it a long time ago. You know, and it was great. He said that a lot of people want to make you feel inferior to make themselves feel superior, yeah. you know? So, but I understand as a young person, that's a struggle because, you know, you want to be accepted, you know, but man, my grandma taught me a long time ago and I came over here with that attitude and I'm so proud of it. So I want to pass that to my daughter. My grandma was just straight up raw. Fuck them. Love yourself and tell them if they don't like you, fuck them. You don't need them. And, uh, it just stuck that's with awesome. me. And, and for some reason it worked for me and it, hell, it worked for my kids. So, you know, what's your story? How did you get here to uh, Japan? And yeah. well, um, yeah, obviously, like, hearing Nina talking about herself right now, I hear, there are some parallels, not necessarily in everything, but, um, like, growing up, I was always the token black kid, and I didn't choose that for myself. It was my parents. They um, thought what would be best for me and my brother after moving from Orlando, from New Jersey, was to be in a predominantly Christian environment, and in the South, in the Baptist environment, it's usually a bunch of white people, because mm -hmm. they sent us to private school. So that was kind of where things started. Yeah, but like not necessarily like in a negative light. Just like I was always like you know the only black kid, so yeah. I was kind of like 
one, I was the only black kid, but two, I kind of lived far from the schools. So mm. like when I we would come home, my brother and I had our own little world. Mm. And a part of that world was the TV show Power Rangers. <laughs> and like, yeah, Power Rangers to me was dope. And it came out when I was like six, going on seven. And I was actually in public school then too. But um, it was just amazing for me for Power Rangers. And the aesthetics what start getting me interested, I guess, like like Asian or not Orientalism itself, but just the aesthetics. Because as a kid, like Power Rangers was Japanese footage mixed with American teens. And I didn't know where it was coming from because I was seven or six. You didn't know the world at that point. But I was lucky enough to um, be from a really well-off family, and they would take us to Disney like almost every week. And I remember going to Epcot Center mm-hmm. and seeing China and seeing Japan and being like, oh, that's where I see the Power Rangers. Yeah, like, yeah. oh, that's really cool. And then I was also a huge futurist as a child. So I remember reading Dick Tracy comics, and I wanted a TV phone. I mean, no, what was it? A TV watch or something, like a watch TV like on my wrist. And then I remember seeing like a book about Japan, how they had like video phones back in like 95 or whatever, even though they mm. were still prototypes. All eight-year-old me, cared, I was like, oh, Japan has shit that I want. Yeah, so yeah. I need to go to this country. Yeah, exactly. So I remember like becoming enamored with Japan around like eight, nine. Finally, I had a, a second cousin living out here. And then he was like, yeah, man, if you want to come like chill in Tokyo and stuff, like you can do that. But you're going to have to learn Japanese. And he was actually running this website back in the day called Black Tokyo. So my cousin Craig Nine was running that. And I used to go to that website and just get like a bunch of resources for what it was like to be black in Japan. Black Tokyo. Yeah. So it's, it's no longer running okay. anymore. And a man named, I think, um, Afro Eric took it over. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so yeah. That's, that's where I'm but trying to make this connection here. I'm like, he took it on. over from Craig. So in the, in the beginning, it was Craig Nine. Okay. And then Craig passed it on to Afro Eric, and then Afro Eric kind of ima- reimagined it in his own image. Okay. In a certain sense. It's, anyways. Okay. But yeah, so that's what got me like enamored with Tokyo to begin with, and then I started coming and going a lot during the summers. And then like I started learning the language and having fun with that. And at the same time I was doing that, I was also becoming more comfortable with my identity as like the only black in a lot of spaces I was taking, that I was in in Orlando. And I got into music. And because of my like surrounding and media influences, I got into heavier music before I got into like hip hop and stuff like that. And it just would happen that I was growing up around like the late 1990s when new metal was coming in. So I actually got into hip hop via the whole genre of new metal. So like bands like Korn and uh. even even Limp Bizkit, which was a terrible band in a certain sense, was a great band for me because they were a Florida band and DJ Lethal was in the band. So DJ Lethal's turntablism got me into turntable like into DJing as an art form. Prior to that, like I just you know I remember watching In Living Color and seeing like one of the Reigns Brothers DJ and I was like oh that looks cool. But then actually hearing scratches and stuff, I was like that's fucking amazing. <laughs> and then like you know Limp not Limp Bizkit again, but Linkin Park and stuff. That's how I got into the music aspect that way, as opposed to like you know listening to hip hop and then gradually listening to heavier music. I went from gotcha. heavy to softer in a sense. And yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and so. You came here to, when you first came here to Japan. What what were you doing? I was just hanging out. Okay, just hanging out, <laughs> just hanging out, drinking, doing a bunch of silly shit. Yeah, and and I, I know recently you've um, been determined to stay away from a lot of drinking. And I think it's easy to get caught up in that because drink the drinking culture here is very big. Oh my gosh, yeah. Our um, fellow podcasters, Curly and Kansai. They just had an episode where they talked about the drinking culture yeah, here in Ayana Japan. Yeah, them, yeah, shout out to Ayana and Elise. Yeah, so, um, yeah, very big here. What are your thoughts on the, the drinking culture here in Japan? 
Well, I think the drinking culture sometimes used as a release for people because people don't have a lot of releases here. So, like, people can't really drink that heavy out here. Yeah, it's such an ever-present part of life. And I think it's just an excuse to maybe be honest or actually, you know, let your guard down a bit. And you can say, oh, you know, I was drunk, so whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like a scapegoat. But I feel like there are more areas to release then people maybe wouldn't turn to drink so much. Yeah, and I think just, like, it's so much easier, especially living in Tokyo, to drink because you don't have to drive anywhere. Yes. Like, when I'm back in Portland visiting family and friends, like, maybe I'll go see friends, but I will never have, like, more than, like, a drink or two because I'm, like, I have to drive home later and everything. So it's just easier out here to just go out and drink. And, like, there's not a lot you can do to meet up with friends otherwise. It, it seems like there's a lot to do here, but it's, like, after work, you know, you might go grab dinner with a friend. But otherwise, it's like, let's go to a bar to meet up and catch up because it's so much easier. It's cheaper to drink here and everything. And, and then you go to a bar and you're, you might be like, oh, like, I'm not drinking tonight. But then you see that like soft drinks are like only 100 yen different than like an alcoholic drink. And I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm going to have a beer. I'm going <laughs> to have a gin and tonic. You know, yeah. it's like it's about the same price. I might as well get a little buzz. So then it just never stops. Yeah. So When I went back to the States was this last year and I hadn't been there in like five years since I moved to Japan or something like that and you know I drive here and I definitely don't drink and drive because Japan I just don't want to get myself in a bind here you know you do you get yourself in a bind here you can be out of here real quick right so I went back home and I'm around my family members and everybody's just like drinking and stuff and then they're like all right uh, we, we just gonna roll out and I'm just like wait yeah motherfuckers drinking and driving like like this not a thing like i mean you know like it's not an issue (laughs) and so i I realized i was like oh shit a lot of people in the states do drink and drive and they don't even think about it like they just drink and then they get in the car and they go like there are times i think back to my life in america i'm like holy fuck i should have (laughs) died like heaps of times yeah i feel that (laughs) for sure (laughs) yeah but actually my brother's friend actually died new year's 2008 from drinking and driving he was driving home from a new year's party and he hit a pole and yeah, so after that, my brother and I kind of like, Haha, we shouldn't be doing that that much, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny that in the States, they say, don't drink and drive, but they give you a legal limit. Yeah. But when Japan decided to say no drinking and driving, I mean, hell, even I would say a, a quarter of a beer. And plus, it costs you dearly over here. I mean, you're talking about five grand, you know, <clears throat> for, you know, being caught drinking and driving. And then the passengers in the car would have to pay the same uh, amount of money. Yeah. And then uh, and and when they brought out that law, I would say a few months later, me and my wife was watching Japanese TV and um, they had these three ladies that was going to court and they were going to traffic court. And one of the ladies was drinking and driving and got into an accident. So vehicular homicide. They all went to jail for the same offenses if they were the drivers, because uh, so when Japan got strict, they got strict. But it goes back to what Paul Harvey said a long time ago. Uh, used to be a guy, old guy that used to have this five-minute radio cast. He'd say, well, if you don't want people to drink and drive, why do you have parking lots at uh, bars? But anyway. Well, I think that kind of also goes back to, like, with America's weird history with also corporations and lobbying. Because, like, you just it just wouldn't be feasible in a country the size of America but everyone kind of has to drive unless you live in a big city and taxis aren't really a thing out like in the heartlands or in like places where you have to drive to just be like all right no drinking and driving like the motor industry like car makers would be like whoa 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 <laughs> yeah. and like the alcohol industries would be like wait 
if you can't drive to the bar, then how are people going to consume our products? Yeah. <laughs> like, wait, no. That's a great yeah. point. Niall, how has it been um, alcohol-free, and what are you doing to not go back to a life of alcohol? Well, um, I guess to not go back, luckily, in a sense, I had really bad headaches. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, that's, that's so the major that's like reason. like a major deterrent. The only thing is, um, usually when people like quit cold turkey, they have all their effects like within the first like week or two. But for me, because I was so pumped up on medicine to like like beta blockers to block out the headaches, um, I didn't really have the effects of going cold turkey until maybe like three weeks on, when the headaches were going away from this cluster, and I had time to just like you know go through the jaws. I went through like a sugar phase where I was like time to eat little debbies every day or time to eat a bunch of snacks, and but I think the weirdest thing, I would compare it to like. I guess um, being like a Twilight vampire, like I think in the Twilight universe, vampires don't sleep and um, they can't eat or anything. And like they just have all their thoughts at like all hours of the day. And yeah, when I not have alcohol in my system to like dull my thoughts, because I overthink a lot. I'm just, I'm thinking about everything. And like, you're like, you can think everything because there's no blackout. There's no dulling it. And your emotions are so much more sharper. Like, I feel everything, and it can be annoying sometimes, but I feel everything. But because I'm thinking, I can feel things and logically process it now, as opposed to acting on impulse. But that goes together with mental health. Not drinking has really helped my mental health as well. Like, I think you don't know this when you're doing it, but when you take a time to look back, you realize that, oh, I was dulling certain things that I just didn't want to deal with. Uh, I'm sad, so I drank, but then I'm, I'm, I drank because I'm sad. And then it's like this circle of like all these different things. And sometimes people drink to forget. That's a lot of things. You drink to forget, you drink to escape. But it actually makes things worse because while you're in a state of being intoxicated or drunk, you think, all right, you know what, I'm just going to solve this issue now. And like I was someone who was very heavy-handed and trying to fix my issues whilst being drunk, only to make them worse. And the next day, be like, "Hey, I fucked up." <laughs> like, hey, reach out to people. Like, hey, you know, like my intentions were good, but I was drunk and I messed it up. I didn't mean to. And you can only be forgiven for that so many times. You can only like do that to people in your life so many times. So they're just like, "All right." Then either you're just like a lush who can't hold their drink, or you might just be a terrible person, and you're using alcohol as an excuse for these things. So, but mental health wise, it's been helping me a lot. The only problem is I can think a lot more now. So I've, I don't know if I'm having like, I feel like I have like, like OCD now because I'm thinking so much, but it's part of being sober. Mm. Like it's part of sobering up because you're just so used, you're not used to thinking. So it does feel like you'll suddenly have OCD, but you're like, oh no, I'm just, this is how you think regularly. Like children, children think everything. They they act on whatever they think because they're not drinking, they're kids. So, like, getting back to, like, a natural balance of information coming in, information flying around your head, and how you express that information, or how you act upon it. You know, it's interesting because, um, you know, I definitely don't knock you for um, doing without drinking. I think I don't have those issues because I'm very much a moderate drinker. So, you know, when, when I hear all these stories from people, it seems like they were just, like, got, you know, they were used to getting shit-faced drunk. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's never been my style. I'm just, you know, I like to drink. Sometimes I might have like three or four beers or or sometimes I might have a couple beers three or four days in a row. But I I don't really overdo it. And I think a lot of people shouldn't overdo it. And that's why they get to the point where they are, you know. Yeah, I feel like I'm in that same boat as you because I feel like the last year or so I've been drinking a lot more than I used to, mm-hmm. but not getting shit faced. Exactly, it's like, that's the key. I'm drinking because I'm being more social, and before that, I was quite depressed um, 
like for maybe about a year like in, when I moved here um and I wasn't going out and I never drank by myself in the house or anything so I was just like being like super antisocial and not drinking because I had no one to go out with or didn't want to see my friends and I was just so depressed but then this past year has been like one of the happiest years of my life and I know I've like gained a little weight and I know that's because I've been drinking more but I'm okay with my that. Gut. I got a little yeah, gut. because it means I've <laughs> I've made more friends going out and I I'm so happy being able to hang out with them and I can have a few drinks with them but rarely do I like get super drunk yeah. or shit face and yeah. I'm able to enjoy the drinks with people and it's the company that makes the drinks so Yeah, and, and I'm a I'm a big like and this is not to promote alcohol but one of my favorite things to do is to like listen to house music whether in a club or at home and have some wine or something like that so I, I really enjoy that like you can't tell me not to drink you know what I mean but you know I keep it moderate though that's the key I would actually want to tack on that because um yeah definitely like I there I don't tell anyone to stop drinking because there are a lot of good things that come with it and but I just want to say for people who may be thinking about like going sober and they're yes. like oh it's, you know I'm gonna actually miss these things when you stop drinking you realize that everything that happened when you were drinking is a part of you innately so the bad parts are part of you innately, but also the good parts are part of you innately. So like, you know, I'm, I'm quite shy as well and quite reserved, but I drank to have fun, like a social lubricant. And now I realize, oh, you know, if the shitty bits of me are still here, then the good bits of me are still here. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I could still, like, you can still go out and have fun and have with your friends and stuff. You can still be social, but it does take some conditioning. Yes. Yeah. Like placebos are an amazing thing. Like <laughs> if I go out, I'll, you know, I'll have like a soda water or something and the moment it feels kind of like you're drinking beer or like you have like a non-alcoholic beer and you start you interacting. Having yeah. That. yeah. Having that, yeah. But you start interacting with people as if maybe you were drinking and then after a while you learn, oh, it's me and then after a while you can stop having that placebo. Mm. But yeah. it does take time. Mm. But yeah, yeah, there are heaps of good things about drinking alcohol. Now going through uh, mental health issues in a foreign country is that a challenge um i'm gonna pass this to nina in a bit too because i know she has she can say about this as well i think for me personally like yeah i struggled with mental health a lot coming up and they and it doesn't really matter if you're in another country or if you're in your own country because it's all like it's in it's in here like in your head but there could be certain factors that could exasperate it for example the drinking culture of japan could yeah exasperate but it. What, what, not to cut you off but what mm-hmm. i meant was yeah, mental health is it'll follow you wherever you are, you know. But what I meant was, you know, let's say you needed somewhere to go to get oh, help yeah, or, yeah. or something like that. You know, I, I can imagine that that would be a challenge. So, yeah, finding resources, especially maybe if you're not comfortable in a second language, if you want to find English resources can be quite challenging. Finding a community of people who could understand can be challenging depending on where you are, the attitudes toward it, or how the healthcare system works. So just... Yeah, what would you want to talk I think um, just because mental health is still, you know, such a taboo thing to talk about in Japan, there's not a lot of resources or there's not a lot of support around it, especially um, a lot of places don't take like national health insurance. And what I found most difficult was to find like group therapy which is what I wish I could have found. I Luckily, there's actually a lot of resources in English. There's like, um, there's groups like Tell, who is like a 24-7 hotline you can call in both Japanese and English to talk to someone. Or um, there's quite a few like counseling uh, centers and there's a whole resource in English for English speaking or like 
Spanish-speaking, French-speaking therapists that live in the Tokyo area. So once you start digging in, um, there are resources. But I, what I wanted was more like support groups for like people who were going, who had like really bad anxiety or depression or something. Because it's yeah, sometimes it's good to talk to a therapist one-on-one, -on -one, but like I don't know, it's just not as genuine to me I think as being able to talk to other people who are going through the same struggle and being able to support each other it not from a professional who's trained in that right and right. so that's something that I still haven't been been able to find in like this formal setting of course I have friends who I can talk to but when like at a time when like my depression and anxiety were so bad I almost felt like I was burdening my friends by talking about it so much and it had uh, stain, uh, uh, tainted some of my friendships that I made here and so there are some lines that I try not to cross with my friends I know they're there for me at all times but if only like there were groups where we could all come together with like-minded problems that we could hash it out together yeah that's something that I haven't been able to find in Japan and if anyone knows of any I think that would be really great resource well but. real quick Real quick on the real quick. Real quick here. Maybe you could be the pioneer. You could start it. Yeah. yeah. I've thought about right, that. Right, right. I think yeah. you could make it happen. But I want to ask a real, you know, you don't have to elaborate it on too long, but why is it taboo in Japan? What does it have to do with? I don't, I really don't know, but I can say, like, growing up with the Japanese mom, um... Whenever we're we're great now, and I think we can talk a lot more about our feelings now that now that I'm an adult. But growing up, I feel like a lot of times I would be like, I think I'm really like depressed, or uh, you know, I think I'm going through something. She'll be like, No, just brush it off. It's not real. And yeah, so it's like the gum on feeling, right? And like, um, just keep it to yourself and deal with it on your own. Like, don't be weak and ask for help, kind of thing. And so I think it's this something that's ingrained in Japanese culture in that way like you know it is pretty well known that Japanese people don't talk about feelings right yes. like so I think it goes with that and maybe it shows signs of weakness or you know you should be able to deal with everything on your own kind of thing well in in the U.S. it's like it's okay to ask for help you yeah. know reach out to people and tatemai it's, it's yeah, part yeah, of yeah. the the front that we you know Japanese have exactly. when they're out in society but also tacking on to that though for us for those of us who are from like an African-American community community we also have similar issues too like you know like instead of like come on you just pray about it or like you know like black people don't go to therapy black people don't have mental yeah. issues that's a white person's issue yeah so things that's, of that nature as well that's uh, so, um yeah, yeah like great point. oh like your parents killed you like a lot of parents might like oh like i'm sad i'm having i'm anxiety like i'm anxious what do you have to be sad about like what do you have to be depressed about yeah what do you have to be anxious about like uh eh, i just don't feel good i'm busting my ass working hard for you and you want to sit at home and be sad go to work or like do your yeah. homework or something <laughs> it's like eh, okay yeah uh, yeah, I think what Nina was saying about finding groups would be good. Like, that's one of the reasons why I like having the band, because I'm really anxious when it comes to just being, especially in Japan, where like you know you're six foot something black guy with long hair. People are always looking at you. It's like you're in a zoo, and like they don't mean to look at you. A lot of the looks are actually good looks too. They're like, mm. oh, cool. Like, it's like an anime character, but like just consistently being looked at for not who you are, just like for just just being there. Like, I'm just getting stared at for being. And now it's like a different issue. That's neither good nor bad. But that can affect your anxiety. Yeah. Like, we're going to go shoot a music video soon, and it's going to be outside. And I'm petrified for that. Yeah. Like I don't want to be walking through, like, you know, pantomiming rap lyrics, <laughs> looking like what they expect this giant black guy to be doing. Yeah. And just, yeah. like, have someone else see that. And then 
attach their own narrative to that. That makes me anxious. But having my band where they're with me going through that, I'm like, ha I can do it because you're all with me. We're yeah. doing it together. Yes. Yay. So back to the music. I, I would assume that it plays a big part in keeping you on track and not deviating from going back to your old ways. Like you have that one thing that you can really focus on. And Before I started drinking, it was a way of expressing, I guess, my feelings about how I would maybe self-sabotage. And like, you know, I would self-sabotage. I couldn't stop. But at least I could like, you know, write songs about the experiences and I could either, you know, apologize for things I did or like, you know, have songs where I really had a good hard look at myself, but through like a lens that was kind of tinted with alcohol. But now after drinking and after alcohol, it gives me something to obsess over. So I have all these excess thoughts and all these excess compulsions, like, like, not compulsions, I guess compulsions, fine, that I need to direct somewhere. So I start studying French because I can control that. And like the music is something that like, you know, like I can focus on that as opposed to just like having my mind wander and maybe it would lead me back to drink. Because yeah. you like you have all these extra emotions and thoughts. You're like, fuck, what am I doing? Like it's so annoying. Like how do I, how do I turn this off? Yeah. But by focusing and channeling on the music, music, yeah. Or channeling into like you know learning French or whatever, it just gives me a way to just quiet it down. Mm. So yeah, music is a great thing for me pre-alcohol. I mean, not pre-alcohol, post-drinking and before when I was drinking. So uh, do you think through your music you can inspire uh, or you or is it, you know, do you ever think about through your music and through your experiences that you probably uh, pour into your music? You think you can inspire people or or you think that, you know, hopefully someone walks away from your show saying, wow, you know, if he could do it, I could do it. Wow. It's nice to know that somebody is going through or has been through it, but they're. You know, they're like they're they're up on stage and 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 wow, you know, it's have you ever thought about that? Um, I think um so I'm gonna pass it to Nina in a bit as well about this too. But I think with most musicians or creative people, even if you aren't even if your your art isn't quote unquote conscious, I mean con- yeah, conscious. Yeah. Still just yeah, you can use your whole ex- your whole experience as a way of being like, Look, if if I can do it, y'all can do it. Like some like for example, like some rappers, they might rap about getting money and, you know, having women and fancy cars and from the outside or that looks like, oh, it's just ostentatious, materialistic. It's like, no, like, look at this person's background, where they came from. Like, they, had, they hadn't had shit. And now they're like, well, now I got money and stuff. And that's their way of saying, I've come from nothing and I've done this. Mm-hmm. And I, you can do it too. I don't, we don't have to talk about that in our music because that is not a struggle. But like, you know, like, hey, I'm taking the time to maybe t- think about why I'm doing this in my song take the time to be like, hey, what the hell is going on with me? And I'm doing this in front of people. So if I can be open with myself, maybe you can. Or another song where it's like, so late I actually got fucked over by somebody. He, um, I'm not going to say names, but yeah. he paid somebody money uh, for a laptop. Yeah, and I, he I, didn't pay him back. And I wrote a song about that. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's called Smiling Faces. Wow. And we're actually shooting a video for that. So it's like, you know, ways that you can say, hey, this also happened to me. Somebody yeah, I, yeah. I knew. Yeah. So like, you're not alone. And yeah. then... I think I love having live shows because it does bring people together and they can come have an experience with the group and then leave that show feeling like they are connected to people. Maybe reminded that, oh, people do go through things. I'm not alone. I don't know. Yeah. And I think the great thing about music is two people could be listening to the same song and think of it as completely different messages right and i think that's true for our band too like i came in i'm the, the young youngest i guess in terms of yeah too, and honest. the youngest <laughs> yeah. but the newest member in the group and so i wasn't there for the process of the first out with the ep and everything and so i started listening to the music later than everyone and i think it 
like, oh, I, I hear this song and I think of this in my own life and how it relates to that. And like Nayo could have had a totally different reason for writing that song, but it touches each of us in a different way. And I think that's the beauty of music is that it can affect people in such different ways and yet still send some message out that that people are able to relate to or feel emotional about in some way. So going, uh, I guess, adding to the point that you, Nayo, you made about um, sometimes, you know, you don't have to use conscious lyrics or anything to, to um, help people. And when I think about that, which you said, I was, I thought about social media and a lot of these artists, what I realized is they have this huge platform like Instagram, Facebook, whatever, chat, Snapchat, whatever. But I see them talking about other things besides their music. So even if you're not putting that in your music, you can use your platform. You know, you're, yeah, you got a, a million people. followers. You know, you can use that platform to, to talk about things like that. It doesn't always have to be about your music. It doesn't always have to be about this fashion show you went to or what you're wearing or, you know. Yeah, I think um, like a funny example of that, in a way, it's probably DJ Khaled. Like, we actually went mm. to the same high school. He just spent okay. a couple of years prior than, prior than I did. Okay. And, like, yeah, people tend to forget he's a DJ, you know, whatever it is that he does. But he's always using his, like, Instagram or his Vines, whatever it is, to, like, you know, connect with fans. I don't necessarily watch it myself, but I did watch a documentary called The American Meme. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, he's trying to be positive about it. And, like, social media, uh, it's another reminder for me, like, you know, everything in moderation. Because, like, yeah, a lot of people do see, like, Instagram influencers, social media influencers, and they think, I want that. But then, flip side, it's a lot of pressure and being an influencer. And right now, luckily for us in this current era, like, being woke is cool. Like, you know, being open is cool. Like, talking about things is cool. But there might be pressure to be woke. might be pressure to influence people in a positive way. I I definitely agree. Like, one of the uh, celebrities I personally admire is, like, Selena Gomez. I think, like, she speaks a lot on, you know, she's an active person uh, with lupus. And um, Mm -hmm. she produced, like, uh, 13 Reasons Why, which is about suicide and teens and bullying. And so she talks about mental health, health issues a lot as well. And so she has so many followers. At one point, she was, like, the most followed person on Instagram and uses that as a leverage to spread, like, awareness and messages. And at the same time, I've heard of criticism about her um, from others saying, oh, I don't like her because she doesn't st- stand up for Latin women enough. And it's like, well, she's Latin, like Hispanic, but like, you know, she's from Texas. Like maybe she doesn't feel as connected to that because she grew up in the U.S. So she doesn't feel like she's the right person to represent uh, Latin and Hispanic women. And that's that's why she channels her energy into uh, causes that she feels more closely with yes. and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that i no, think i, I absolutely that. admire her and yet people will always find ways to, like criticize people because oh they're this but they're not doing enough with that yeah it's like that and that's why i brought up dj khalid again because like not to dismiss what he's doing but like yeah as Nina just said there's always pressure to do this and that so once again with moderation it's like if you you can't please everyone but like if you can't be super woke mm-hmm. then the opposite of that being super problematic mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you could just be like you know what I'm just going to produce lighthearted content that will hopefully serve as escapism or distractions for people, for something they enjoy. And that's why, like, you know, like, I, f- like, I don't really follow SNS that much because I'm lazy. And I'm an older <laughs> millennial. <laughs> yeah. But, like, yeah, DJ Khalid, like, you know, once again, not to keep harping on him, but, yeah, he just, like, just throws shit out there. That's, like, fun. It's cute. It's not supposed to be too deep. And I think he knows that, you know, he can't be like someone like a Selena Gomez. Well, maybe he could. I don't, I don't speak for him. But Selena Gomez, I do admire her a lot as well. Like, she goes through things and she talks about in real time. Mm. Even with, like, Demi Lovato. She'll go through things she talks about in real time. Yeah. 
like Carly, he doesn't t- feel comfortable doing that, but he does provide us distraction. So there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, Alright, so I keep talking about him for some reason. <laughs> no, why? I don't even I don't even have his Instagram I don't even know his Instagram account. <laughs> yeah, so Snapchat, um, whatever it is. We definitely appreciate it, you two, for coming out here. One more thing. Now, where you say you're from originally? Oh, yeah. So I'm originally, I was born in New Jersey, but I grew up in okay. Orlando. And you went from New Jersey to Orlando. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a question for you. Yeah, bang it. I know what's coming. Where <laughs> did that British accent come from? Yeah. And that's actually, it's a good question to ask because, like, I never really address this. And people all the time just think I'm putting it on or something. But, um... Pretty much, long story short, was I had a very heavy speech impediment as a child. So I remember I was f- I was five when I moved to Orlando, and at that point in the early '90s, like Orlando wasn't New York Junior like it is today. It wasn't like England Junior like it were today. It was just like people were just there, and no one could understand me because in New Jersey, New York, you speak very fast, and I a lot of kids have trouble pronouncing their R's. And I was at that point when we moved to Florida. So I was just speaking fast, but I couldn't say my R's. Like, I just couldn't say them. So my mom wouldn't let me say the word fork because I couldn't say it. So I, had to, I was calling things spoons for a long time. Wow. And when I, got into, yeah, when I got into elementary school, I was put in speech therapy class. And um, they focused on me saying R's and stuff. And my actual name at the time started with an R. And I just couldn't say it. And it was about two years into it. So I'm in, like, the third grade. And Orlando, having a lot of like British people there as tourists and timeshares, I started hearing this received pronunciation. And I didn't know that it was a specific like an English thing or whatever, because at that time you still don't have a concept of the world. Mm. You're just like, some people talk differently. And I was like, yo, if I talk like that, like no one gives them shit. Like I remember being a kid, I was watching Tomorrow People, and that's a British show. And I was like, yo, no one gives these people shit for like, you know, like I'm trying real hard to make my voice American right now. That's how I sing. I was like, yo, no one fucks with these guys. Like, they don't go to speech <laughs> therapy. They just like, I can't really say my R's this way, but if I say my R's that way, then maybe I can get out of this shit. So I just started speaking that way. And after like a year or two, it just stuck. Like, it stuck really wow. hard. I changed schools, so that's why I stopped going to speech therapy. But um, it became a huge issue in my like puberty years. Like I was like 13, 14, 15. It was something that I really actually hated. Like the accent's there, but it's mostly just a speech impediment with the C pronunciation peppered on top of it. Ah, it's very, wow. Well, being where I'm from, you sure would have picked up a lot of women during my generation. (laughs) 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 Funny story real quick, though. Um, So about that, I actually um, had really bad growing pains from 14 to 15 and my like my right shin. So we were at the pediatrician's office and my mom and I were there. My mom was like, hey, I'm going to go to McDonald's. Like, do you want anything? And me, I was like, yeah, you know, I'll just take like a number two with some special sauce. And she was like, all right, no worries. And the woman next to me was like, oh, my God. She looked at me and my mom was like, what the fuck? She was like, say something again. And she was, my mom was like, talking to me. And she's like, no, your son, his accent's so sexy. And my mom was like, nah, hell no. Nah. And she's like, no, 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 like, you don't understand. Like, my daughter's in there right now. Like, you know, she'll come out. I want, I want her to meet you. Like, what's your name? And I was like, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> and I grabbed my mom's arm. I'm like, don't go. But also, like, Living in Tokyo is an international city too. So like you have, I have a lot of Aussie friends. I used to live in Australia. That's stock as well. British mm. friends and you meet people. Orlando was like that too. A lot of Brits, a lot of Brits. And I worked in theme parks because that's what you do in Orlando. You work at Universal or Disney when you're a high school student. And you have to, you, you start code switching when you start talking to different people. Mm. So some things just stuck after a while. So, but it's mostly like, thank you for calling it an accent. It's really just a speech impediment. <laughs> I just can't pronounce certain words. Shout out your your social media links and stuff, uh, plugs, yeah. handles, whatever you call them. Um. So yeah. So I guess I'll do the band ones. So with the ocean and I. So 
the the ocean and I is just that, but then the is written in was it parentheses? Yeah, just okay. to make it easier to Google, I figured. So on Instagram, we're the ocean and I. The website is theoceanai.com, and then I guess personal links. Yeah, you know, you don't have to, but well, yeah. I mean, I figure like Nina has a lot going on that okay. she wants to share, and um, yeah, I think Nina should be followed even outside of the band. So to me, Avec Nayokenza on Instagram, so Avec like the French with so A V E C N A Y O K E N Z A, and that's that. And I'm gonna pass it to Nina. Um, yeah, follow me on my personal Insta. It's Nina La La La. Um, N-I-N-A-L-A-L-A-L-A but I'm also a travel writer so I um, post a lot of um, links, uh, articles online Um, so follow my Insta for that it's nextstop underscore Nina N-E-X-T-S-T-O-P underscore N-I-N-A and I also have um, a website it's ninamcataldo.com and that's N-I-N-A-M C A T A L D O. We're going to leave all of that in the, uh, ah, okay. po- the episode description awesome. and stuff. So, yeah. Any last words, Buddha? It was great having you guys here. Yeah, I love having, you. I love being around all this young energy, seeing that I'm, I'm the senior guy in here, which I feel young too. But anyway, yeah, it was great having you guys. And it was great to see you again. And great, great to meet you for the first time, Nina. Yeah, and this is awesome. Thank you so yeah, much for having us. Most definitely. And we're going to kick the Seahawks' ass this year, but <laughs> enough said. <laughs> All right, last question for Nina, because Niall's been here before. Uh, What do you think of the Mobile Man Cave? I love it, (laughs) and I'm super jealous of it. I've actually, I've been thinking about wanting to get a van and Mm -hmm. um, road trip around Japan for a little while now. Um, I recently went up to Hokkaido, and like just even Hokkaido itself, I'm like, I could spend like a month or two just driving around camping and everything. So... I'm very jealous. It's like so homey. It's yes. this really awesome feeling in the middle of Shibuya, away from you know everything yeah. out there. So yeah, thanks for having us here. All right, cool, cool. All right, uh, that's it. Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. We're out. Thank you for listening to the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. For more episodes, please visit rump.podbean.com, or you can head straight to Google and type in Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. You can also listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you can stream or download podcasts.